0: You're listening to Sciencing the Shit Out of MS, part of the Classroom Psychology Network. And now here's your host, Dr. Cora Sargent. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sciencing the Shit Out of MS. I'm your host, Cora. Thank you so very much for joining me. It is wonderful to see you. Ah, Hop on in here. Now, listen, for a while, we've been doing a bit of Sciencing the Shit Out of MS, and I've, I've enjoyed it. Like, we've been doing some great stuff. I've got to say that I haven't recorded in a few weeks. And the reason is because I've been on a bit of a journey. Now, I, I, you know, when we came together to begin with about eight, nine months ago, we started thinking about, you know, the idea that it is possible to flourish, even with something so bad as multiple sclerosis going on in your life. And that concept of bad is something that increasingly I've been challenging in myself. Um, I've got a wheelchair recently. Y'all know this. I got myself a wheelchair and I went out and started wheeling myself around and I found it like immediately incredibly difficult to do, (laughs) like far more difficult than I ever anticipated. And I started to do more of it. I started to push myself around in more adventurous places and Started to get strong physically and you know i was able to kind of get myself places i definitely couldn't do just a few weeks before and now i can get myself all over the place go on proper little walks and get all the way back again and all independently i've been feeling pretty good about that in fact i've even started to see myself as a bit of a badass like as i drag my ass uphill but i've been experiencing something weird people have been looking at me weirdly in the wheelchair. Like, I don't really know how to describe it. Every time I go out, every single time I go out, I have somebody stop and ask for help, usually two or three people at different times. And um, I've am i been happy with that. You know, that's, that sort of restores my faith in humanity in a weird way. But recently I've found like, I don't know, the way in which people do it sometimes comes with something strange. Like, I see myself as this sort of adventurous little badass, right? If I'm absolutely honest, (laughs) you know, blowing my own trumpet, like I really couldn't pull myself up any hills to begin with. And relatively quickly, I'm being able to kind of take myself all over the place in my wheelchair and I think it's kind of cool. And there are even times I really enjoy it. Like going downhill is really good fun and not a little dangerous, uh, if I'm honest. Like skidding to a halt before roads is fun. It's like an extreme sport. I mean, if I didn't know how fun this was, I would have become disabled way sooner. I mean, it's, it's great fun. And yet the way in which people see me, I see in their eyes reflected back at me is something really odd. This woman came up and asked me for help like, not that long ago, a couple of days ago. And she had a little dog with her. And she looked at me, and she was like, oh, do you need help up the hill? And I was like, no, nope, I'm good. I'm getting yoked, <laughs> You know, I'm getting, getting yoked. Uh, I'm getting buff. Thanks. Uh, you know, I need the practice. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she looked at me. And she looked at me with this face that was like, I don't know, like, she wanted to do something or say something. She wanted something. Like, And she just said, poor you. And then carried on. I was like, what? What do you mean, poor me? Poor me, I'm kicking ass over here. Like, poor me. And then lots of people started doing it. Like, this woman came out of her house, like ran out of her house in her pajamas to help me up a hill. I had a guy who stopped his car. Stopped his car and got out of it and came over to me. And, and like this, this was a weird one, right? He stopped his car. He got out of it. He ran over towards me a few steps and was like, oh, uh, do you need help? I was like, nah, I'm good. And like, this ain't easy for sure, but you know, I'm getting strong. Like I just need the practice. So I'll give it, you know, there's this little kind of lip of a, of a verge, like a little hill on the way to the local park. And that hill is... Almost insurmountable to a wheelchair, if I'm completely honest. But I manage it every single time. And it was at that hill that this guy was trying to help. I was like, no, I'm good. No worries." So he was like, oh, "Okay." And he he got back in his car. And a moment passed, no more than a moment. And he got back out of his car and he ran over to me. <laughs> now, bearing in mind, like I've got my headphones on, so every time he does this, I have to take my headphones off to hear him. And I'm using my hands to control the chair, so. I have to kind of keep my hand on the chair, put, you know, brakes on, get my headphones off every time he does this. And he runs over to me. He's like, do you need any help? And I was like, you know, (laughs) in my head, I'm just like, no, (laughs) nothing has changed in the moment since you last asked. I'm in very much the same position I was before, you know, no, I'm good. Thank you. You know, and then he started walking away and then he looked at me and he looked at the ground and I you know, took my headphones off again. He was like, that hill's not very well designed. I was like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm on it. (laughs) I'm well aware. Thanks for letting me know. I think he just wanted to express, like, some kind of sympathy. And I was like, all right, you know, unless you have a concrete, like a bag of concrete and Planning permission. I think you and I are both a bit stuck with the situation as is. I'm going to continue to try and climb this hill now. Put my headphones back on and pull my ass up that hill. And I made it. And I make it every time. But every single time, particularly there, but honestly, anywhere, uh, people are stopping to help. And often with that expression on their face this expression of like, I don't even, I can't describe it. Like, I'm so sorry. That's the expression. I'm so sorry, so sorry you have to go through this. And I was just like, sh- shove it up your butt, y'all, like all of you. Sh- shove it, shove it up your butt. Like I am capable. There is. I was listening to this TEDx talk from a disabled woman, um, uh, and she was saying like, there is, there is like nobility in the struggle. There is kind of like, dignity in the struggle. That was the word she used, dignity. There's dignity in the struggle, pride in the accomplishment. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, I look like I'm struggling. And yes, it is challenging. But that doesn't mean I need your help. But I'm glad that people ask. I'm not saying don't ask, y'all. Like, you know, come and ask, like, for sure. But if I say no, (laughs) take my word for it. Like, you know, yeah, maybe sometimes I am wrong. And that hill is definitely difficult. And yes, I would get up that hill with greater ease with somebody helping. But that doesn't, all that does is make me feel like I'm dependent on other people. I need people to look at me, not with those eyes. I need people to look at me with the eyes of that dog. of the, I'm pretty sure that dog, I, mean, I don't know this, but the dog put its tongue away and it looked at me and gave a little nod. I'm pretty sure it was saying, you got this. That's the face I need. I need that pupper's little face on the, the expressions of all these people trying to help. Like people asking, hey, do you need help? And I'm like, no, I've got this. Then I need their face to be like, yeah, you've got this. I believe in you right? That's what I need from people. I believe in you. And for sure, maybe I haven't got this. (laughs) Sometimes I definitely don't got this, but I just, I need people to look at me with eyes that are like, yeah, you've got this. I wanted to talk a little bit today about that. I think we'll talk about that a bit more, but I also wanted to talk about like, it's like people are, I feel like people are like pity. Clippy, right? That's how I feel is happening here. Like, like bad Clippy who pops up and is like, hey, do you need, you look like you're trying to wheel your ass up, ale. do you need help? Like, Clippy, get out of here. And, and the thing is the MS is already Clippy in my life, right? So i got to tell you this story. Apologies in advance. So I was in the kitchen, like I kind of needed a wee, but I needed to put my cranberries away. <laughs> like this is, this is where I was at. Now, for those with bladder issues, cranberries are a great idea because they uh, they make it harder for bacteria to stick to the inside of the bladder, so they reduce the risk of of um, of urinary tract infections. So I I am, and I dropped one uh, while I was munching on them. So I picked it up, took it through to the kitchen, and was like, okay, now I need to put this in the bin. My bin, you press it on the top and it opens and you press it and it closes again. That's how my bin works, right? Simple little mechanism. I pressed it and my body was like, you look like you're trying to throw the cranberry. You, would you like help? And Clippy's like, the MS Clippy pops up and it's like, you look like you're trying to throw the cranberry. Let me help you to do that. And immediately the cranberry is gone. Bins open, Cranberry's on the floor. I need a wee, trouble. But it's a quick job, right? A quick job to grab the cranberry. So I bend down to grab the cranberry. And MS Clippy pops up and is like, you look like you're trying to wee. Are you trying to wee? Let me help. And I pissed myself on the kitchen floor. (laughs) That's what happened. I pissed myself on the kitchen floor. Screw you, MS Clippy. I don't need your help. I'm totally fine. Right, so I need to learn. (laughs) Basically, I'm going to go and pee First, before I manage my cranberry picking up. That's it. Anything that's on the floor is staying on the floor until I've been to the toilet. Here on out. Here on out. I vow I will go to the loo before I try and pick up a cranberry. And um, ah, oh, goodness me. I gotta tell you, yo, you know, MS Clippy is a nightmare. Like, you pop it up and be like, hey, you look like you're trying to kick something, are you? And I'm like, no, I'm on the couch, relaxing. Get out of here, Clippy. Let me help you. And my leg kicks out as if I'm trying to kick a flying football or something you know, out of nowhere. That was not what I was trying to do, Clippy. Get out of here, Clippy. Go on, get. The real problem here isn't, isn't just that Clippy pops up or that, you know, other people pop up. It's the sort of... You know, it's, it's, it's what Clippy does next, right? And it's maybe not even be Clippy. It might really be me. You know, this kind of, oh, are you trying to, you trying to do X and then you do the X and you're like, no, that's not what I was trying to do, Clippy, get out of here. And then moments later, it's like, oh, you look like you've done something shameful. Would you like a huge amount of shame with that? You're like, screw you, Clippy, screw you. Guilt? How, How about some guilt? Uh, You might need to apologize to everyone around you incredibly, like, apologize constantly because of this deep and profound guilt I'm just going to leave you with. Screw you, Clippy. Like, and that's what I think we need to talk about, is this kind of, like, propensity for shame and guilt and constant, like, apology for who we are and the state of our bodies. Because... Damn, that, y'all, that's ableism, I think. And that's the journey that I've been on. Because I think, you know, last summer, when I had a, a real you know, emotional kind of break, really, um, I was desperately, I think what was going on was that, you know, for the previous four years, I was so deeply afraid of becoming disabled. Like it was this terrible thing that was going to happen to me. And then, you know, over the summer, I just suddenly felt like I was terribly disabled, really, for the first time. And it was like an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object of like, oh, I'm desperately, desperately trying to avoid becoming disabled with a degenerative condition that is almost certainly going to result in some level of disability. And as those two things collided, I just kind of broke. And I think over time, I've realized that that propensity to see disability as this inherently terrible thing, as a tragedy that's befalling me, like you know, or that befalls anyone, is, is a problematic way of thinking about it. And it's a way of thinking about it and an emotional experience, which is a consequence of society's teachings, right? The lessons that I've learned about how bodies should be in the world and the value that we place upon able bodies, and how the structure of society just implicitly says able bodies are correct, they're right. And if you have a disabled body, if your body is different, then, well, you are disabled by that body. That body is wrong in some way. It needs a cure, but there is no cure, so it's a tragedy, is what it is. You are tragedy your life has become a tragedy that's awful way to think about a life and actually flawed right like the narrative of a tragedy i think is what is reflected in those folks eyes when they look at me it's kind of oh you're in a wheelchair oh how tragic how terrible for you i'm so sorry and it's like i'm freaking badass rolling my ass down here extreme sport skidding my way down hills And I'm enjoying it. I'm having a great time with it. I'm not in pain, right? I mean, that's important. I was in pain for like a whole year. I was in chronic nerve pain and it was a freaking nightmare. And that really is genuinely, implicitly, intrinsically bad. And it needs curing, treating with urgency. But right now I'm not in pain. I'm not suffering. What disables me is my environment. Like Standing up to cook for 30 minutes is a consequence of my kitchen not being adapted or adaptable particularly. You know, what makes it hard for me to go places is because I need a toilet somewhere nearby and they aren't always nearby, or because I need a wheelchair to get around and things are not always accessible. That's what disables me. So when I'm sitting here feeling ashamed of my disability or of becoming disabled, actually, what I should be feeling is ashamed of a society I've contributed to where I have never really properly viewed what's going on for me as being like, I've never viewed the structures and systems that we have in place as inherently ableist, as actively disadvantaging disabled people and disadvantaging them in such an implicit way such a sort of un you know, unchallenged way that is so connected to some kind of universally held truth about disability that is bad and tragic that I've just like, <laughs> I've just considered that the systems and structures around us are just the way things are, or the way things should be, and that we need to cure disability wherever we can. That, I don't think that was ever a thought, but it's how we structure society for sure. So I need to understand that's where I'm at with all of you today. I need to understand how ableism functions and what is being reflected in the eyes of those wonderful folks offering to help. And how do we challenge it in ourselves? What's the alternative? How do I... How do I, like, preserve that perception of myself as a badass in my ass extreme sort down a hill? How do I hold that perception of myself to be true in the context of people looking at me as if I am some kind of tragedy? So, just before we get into ableism, uh, <laughs> uh, I I had a um I had an appointment with my urologist to work out what's going on. Why am I wetting the floor of my kitchen? Um. And the urologist was like, okay, well, you know, we're going to give you a scan. Need you to fill your bladder and then empty your bladder. And then we'll come back in. We'll give you a scan. Um, and as long as you're emptying, okay, then all we need to do is take some drugs. And I was like, I'll take some drugs anytime. <laughs> I take loads of drugs. Hey, I'm a drug fiend. Uh, let's go. Uh, take some drugs. Um, and I took the scan and the dude was like, okay, there's a problem. Uh, you're not emptying. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm not Emptying? What do you mean? Like, there can't be any more in there. I went twice. Like, I went. I came back to the room. It was, like, scanned. It was, like, oh, maybe you should try that again. So I went back in there and tried again. Came back into the room again. I have to say, I was at, I was at my worst, right? Like, I was stressed at this point, And my body temperature was through the roof. So all the symptoms were bad. And the boss was, like, okay, let's scan again. Okay, we've got a problem. You're not emptying properly. So... Here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to teach you to self-catheterize. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Aren't you? You're joking, are you? Fine. Yeah, you know, new experiences. I love them. Let's go, you know, dose me up on whatever new experience you've got. This is a new one. Please go right ahead. Just, you know <laughs> So he's like, let's get a nurse. And the nurse, who was the most kind woman I've ever met, is like, Oh yeah, you know, here's a bit structure here's a picture of you know woman's anatomy, which you'd know better than most. And I was like, oh, you know I'm trans then. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got a friend who's gonna have the surgery before long. And I was like, Oh, thank God, you yeah. <laughs> know, thank goodness. And she was so kind, so 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 kind. And again, you know, throughout my entire journey of like being trans and having MS nurses have been my saving grace. They've rescued me so many times. And once again, saving me. Um But here's what's interesting. For those who don't know, you know, uh, transgender uh, equipment is kind of sculpted, not made, as you might have imagined. Um, And the surgeon, you know, puts things in places he thinks are the most appropriate for them to go, like urethra tucked away somewhere. No worries, right? But it doesn't go in exactly the same place you might expect it to go in the healing process. It moves a little bit. So the nurse is there essentially playing pin the tail on the donkey, where I'm the donkey and the tail is the catheter. And she's like, wait, is that it? She gives a bit of a poke around. Nope, that's not it. Uh, is that it? Gives it a, bit of a poke around. And she's like, maybe it's constricted. Hey, uh, she calls over the urologist. So now we've got a team of people uh, at my basement. Uh, all, what can I be it only be really be described as rummaging to find my urethra. Just <laughs> desperately searching for this thing. Uh, and then I get involved with the mirror and I'm like, is that it there? She's like, I don't think so. I think that's just a fold. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that just a labia? I have no idea. I'll have a try. So funny. And in the end, uh, she found it. Thank goodness she found it. Um, and it went in, and it was uncomfortable. Uh, is the best way I could describe it. Unpredictable and uncomfortable. And she pops it in, and lo and behold, there's a like 400 mils of urine still in there that hasn't come out. Um, and the the urologist is is uh, literally disbelieving. You know, I think you know, when I came back in and we did this, we did the scan even. And we started to find something was up here. He, I think, I don't know what was happening, what conversation he was in with the nurse, but some kind of conversation, which was like, I think this is fine. I don't think this is anything to worry about type of stuff. And, you know, the conversation between him and the nurse was like unbelievable. Literally the words out of his mouth were unbelievable. I cannot believe there's stuff in here. Sure, you know, I'm I'm an unbelievable woman. (laughs) It is so bad, man. Tell you what here's here's what's worse right when they gave me the scan it's an ultrasound scan of the bladder right and um you know she gave me some a towel to cover up my lower parts and I lift my dress to be able to kind of to scan and then I suddenly realized that I you what know, when I was last in the shower did not shave my treasure trail and <laughs> listen listen y'all uh, I will say that treasure trails don't don't go away when you transition and uh, there's a little bit you know She had to work through this double (laughs) to help to sound my bad. Oh, god, I shouldn't say anything, thank goodness. You know, I just it was a wild day. So now, once or twice a day, I have to self catheterize, um, uh, which is a job, Uh, it's a mission hey, I've got, you know, on my first attempt, I hit it first time. I know where that puppy is now. I've located it. I've locked a GPS coordinate into the freaking urethra and I know exactly where to shoot this little target. And I hit it first time today. Oh yeah. I did it on my couch with the towel under me just in case of leakage. Uh, but there shouldn't be leakage except that I realized that on my couch, it's a very comfortable little couch and my ass is is ever so slightly below my legs, not something I'd ever really considered, until the bag for the catheter, you realize, is above the bladder. Now, gravity is the only thing that supports <laughs> And so I like, I did. I had to try and do some like, some Cirque du Soleil-esque maneuvers to try to get my ass above the bag to be able to get, you know, to drain properly. And I gave up in the end and I went to the loo and just emptied naturally. And it actually emptied fine, I think, because, you know, the catheter had alleviated the spasm that the MS had caused. Um, You know, it's been an adventure, this disease, man. It's been an adventure and a journey. And that, that was something else. <laughs> it's like, it's so funny. Uh, and they've given me these little, like, like, uh, large bullet sized catheters, which you can carry in your purse and just pop in. And here's the beautiful irony, right? With the catheter in, there's a little pipe at the other end and you just literally pee. So now I can literally pee standing up again <laughs> in what can only be described as a true poetic irony. Uh, I can now pee standing up once again, um, Absolutely. I just don't even know what to describe that as, except for like somebody out there is laughing at me and I am joining them because that is hilarious. Standing to pee once again. Brilliant. Ableism. I've been reading the work of a guy called Professor Thomas Shakespeare, who's a disabled scientist, a sociologist. Um, And he kind of describes the history of different models of disability. I'm going to try and bring this to life, right? I mean, you all know that I fell apart about a year ago. Um, In the summer of last year, I fell right apart emotionally. And as I look back on it, I sort of understand what I was doing before then. I was like running three times a week. I was walking every day. I was know trying i I was reading everything like more than anything i was reading so much medical literature just trying to i think what i was trying to do was to prevent myself as best i could from becoming disabled i was so afraid that i was going to become disabled so terrified of it and i did everything i could to stop myself becoming disabled everything i could possibly do and then over the summer i got sick with gastroenteritis and i was like oh uh, you know, now I'm disabled. <laughs> like, the fever spiked, I couldn't walk very easily. I was on my own, cash was away. I got really sick, and I wasn't in any medical danger, but I felt as disabled as I've ever felt. Like, really, I couldn't get to the toilet very easily, I couldn't walk around the flat, I couldn't easily get myself any food, you know. I could do these things, but I was—I felt way more disabled than i had ever felt before. And the unstoppable force of my, you know, degenerative condition meet, met the sort of immovable object of my desperate attempt not to be disabled. My ableist attempt not, you know, we'll come to it. We'll understand it, I think, in a minute. But I do see now that what I was seeing, what I was trying to do was inherently ableist to some degree, right? Because you know, Professor uh, Shakespeare talks about, like, different models of disability. And he says, listen, the model of disability that, generally speaking, people will hold to be true, because it's the one that's so, like, got whole industries built around it. And the way that we depict disability on TV, the way that we talk about it, it's almost all based around the medical model, which says that, basically, that disability is bad. That, Being disabled is a terrible thing, and we need cures, and where cures are not available, such as with MS, that our stories are tragic, therefore, right? That's just it. Our best, we need to try and prevent people from becoming disabled or being disabled, and then when they are, we need to give them cures and all the help that we can give them, and then Ultimately, though, we see their lives as tragic and we thank goodness that it's not happening to us. That's fundamentally the medical model of disability. And the sort of main alternative, which is not where Shakespeare lands, right? The main alternative is the social model of disability, which says that what disables us is not the disability, but the environment in which we find ourselves, which is so frequently disabling that it is very easy to see that we are the problem. So I, the world fundamentally is not built with disabled people in mind. And therefore, like it doesn't include disabled people particularly well. And therefore, disabled people are disabled by those environments so frequently that it's very easy for them to see themselves as the issue. So when I am out in the wheelchair and I feel like a badass... When I can't get up that hill at the beginning of Orems Arbor, this little park that I visit, when I can't get up that hill, or at least I'm finding it difficult to get up that hill, the problem, what disables me, is nothing to do with my wheelchair. In fact, my wheelchair enables me, and MS isn't what's disabling me in that moment. The hill is. That hill And that transition from the road to the hill being too steep has not been designed with wheelchair users in mind. And therefore, in absolutely fundamental ways, that environment completely disables me. But what happens is the insidious nature of the reflection upon what's happening there means that I see myself as the problem. Because that happens so frequently the world is designed in such a way as to make it almost virtually impossible for me to access it. And therefore, I see myself as the the burden upon who, you know, I'm the weight on Caroline's shoulders as she has to push me up that hill, right? I become the burden. And that guy who stopped his car and got out and came to help, that's a dude who, you know, sees the distance between me and the environment. He sees the inability of me to access the environment and tries to help. And that's a wonderful thing. I don't mean to disparage his efforts or any of their efforts. You know, the countless people who always constantly, I've only ever been out once, I think, and have not had somebody offer to help. I, I appreciate all their efforts, but their efforts are built out of that kind of same social, that same medical model that says that, oh, you're disabled by your disability and therefore you need my help you are a disabled person and therefore in need of help and by the way your life is tragic <laughs> yeah you know, that woman is like poor you but i'm not suffering like i'm not in pain thank goodness i'm not in pain i'm not suffering in fact i'm having a whale of a time in this chair, and if things were much more accessible, then I would be really happy about rolling around in my chair, no problem. But most things are not accessible, really at all. And while we are still, like, we still have some pretty good stuff going on, like, Kaz and I are going to a gig in a few months' time, and you know, they have been extremely kind in terms of setting us up, in terms of giving Cass a free ticket because she's essentially my personal assistant and giving us seating that makes it easy for us to transfer from the wheelchair to the seat. I love it. Like, thanks so freaking much, you know. what a What a champion thing for people to do. But if the environment was wholly accessible, then people wouldn't need to go out of their way to make it so. Now, Shakespeare goes one step further. He says, but the social model of disability isn't perfect. And the reason is because there are aspects of disability that are implicitly bad. I heard somebody describe this as like uh, either on your own, sitting in a darkened room, are you disabled, right? Or in the apocalypse, right? Post-apocalyptically, could you just run away from the zombies, right? Like, that's the question. Could you get away from the zombies without help? That's the question. And the answer to those questions is yes, generally speaking. As long as the world was, you know, uh, inclusive, yeah, I don't think I feel all that disabled. But I did when I was experiencing nerve pain. For those who don't know, I had nerve pain for a year And I went to Norway to go see friends with nerve pain. And I went to, you know, dear friends in Norway with nerve pain. And I went to Birmingham to go and watch Dota with dear, dear friends. And I was in pain the entire time. And particularly, I remember driving home. I drove everyone home. And for the hour and a half that I was driving, I was in extraordinary pain. Nerve pain is... Uh, very difficult to describe, but it is it's like uh there are like somebody pushing pins into places in my arm and in my leg and but there's some kind of core component it runs through the center of you like acid rain it's awful an awful experience and Shakespeare's point is that listen fatigue, pain, probably other symptoms are inherently implicitly disabling and bad, right? <laughs> no amount of sort of positive thinking is going to alleviate that pain, right? No amount of inclusive environment is going to mean that you are not in pain. Maybe a little bit less, but... So, his point is that there are aspects of the medical model that are necessary, right? And, and you know, beyond that, I, we as disabled folk do need the medical model, right? I am looking for treatments to prevent me from become, becoming more disabled because I need people to be considering this as a bad thing and treating it with urgency, right? I need my neurologist to do that. I don't need him to be thinking of this as like, oh, this is a social model of disability, so uh, Cora's not disabled at all. She doesn't need our help. You know, she's disabled by the environment and we need to focus all our efforts on making the environment more accessible. For sure, yeah, yes, but I need my neurologist and my urologist and my physiotherapist and my MS nursing team. I need them all to see this as a problem that needs solving and to enact within-person solutions as much as possible. But that perspective is not a helpful one for me to hold. But the social model of disability, therefore, you know, it's not it's not necessarily complete. So Shakespeare suggests the third alternative, which is interactionist disability model. Now, for those who I've taught in the past about interactionist psychology, yes, this is where it comes from. Interactionist psychology basically suggests that, you know, any problem is both a combination of within-person, like what causes a problem is a combination of within-person factors and environmental factors and the intersection of those two things. So if you have a child in school who's struggling with their, you know, struggling learning to read, then yes, it is true they might have a literacy difficulty or a working memory difficulty or a phonological awareness difficulty. But that solely describing it in those terms is an incomplete explanation because we ignore the fact that the reason that that person is struggling to learn to read is not solely those issues, but the fact that those issues have not been accommodated fully in school right and how we teach so the onus for change is on the environment and that's fundamentally interactionist psychology and that comes from the interactionist model of disability which says that yeah there are components of disability that are within person there are within person components of disability that was slightly circular circular Uh, but there are parts of disability within a person which are inherently disabling and do need to be treated with urgency, with within-person change. But more importantly, perhaps, there are big environmental changes that are needed in order to make sure that a person can be completely included in society. More often than not, what disables us isn't us. It's the environments that we try to access. This fundamentally changes how I think about things. So we're going to keep coming back to ableism. I think we're going to do a little series on ableism now. I'm not sure, but I think so. Because I, I, you know, the, the reason why these folks are coming at me with this kind of poor you mentality or, you know, I'm so sorry mentality. You know, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. It's awful. Is a medical model disability, a model of disability that says, yeah, what you're experiencing is bad. But actually the problems that we need to solve are not within ourselves necessarily, they're environmental. And if we see it that way, I think that's a potentially very positive psychological position, right? Because that's what we're after. We're after positive psychology, the positive psychological positions that help us to flourish. And the reason why I think this is so important is because it's no longer then about lamenting the disability itself. So let's say that that like little, that little hill that crests at the start of the park, when I can't get up it very easily and I have to fucking push myself, excuse my language, I have to fucking push myself. I have to sort of lurch myself up there in my chair. When I find that difficult, the temptation is to lament the disability, is to lament my body. And there's a reason that that might be a bad idea. If I'm sitting there the whole time lamenting my poor body, then all I'm doing is reinforcing this notion of myself as a burden that other people need to carry, right? Ah, my body, not good again. But actually, I don't know that that's right, right? Because if instead of seeing that barrier as an example of my disability disabling me, and you know tr- me overcoming that barrier as me trying to kind of do something for myself to you know change myself to make myself less disabled, if instead we work to lift those barriers, then it's no longer about me, but it's about community. It's about the whole billion or so disabled people around the world seeking access to it. And that barrier is no longer just about me, right? That little lip of the hill is no longer about me. What disables me is the poor inclusion of that environment. And it isn't just me that's disabled by it, but the whole raft of people with disabilities whole huge numbers of people who are wheelchair users who I never see at Orem's Arbor and now I know why. Because together we have problems to solve and if we can solve one problem and we solve the next and if we solve enough problems then we can create a world where we can all find a place to belong. Thanks so very much for joining me. This is sciencing the shit out of MS and you are very, very welcome here. And I look forward to seeing you as always in the next one.